listen to your intuition. At, at, at the end of the day, you have to f- make a decision that you are going to feel good to live with and then know that that's going to pay off over time. Welcome to Play in Conversations, the podcast where we delve into the world of design and explore the endless opportunities that await designers and brands. I'm Simon Martin, head of content strategy at Plan Co. And today we have a very special episode featuring the founders of Plan Co, Brendan and Karen Hutchison. Over the past eight years, Brendan and Karen have navigated the turbulent waters of the creative business world. They've learned, grown, and reshaped the vision of Plan Co with each passing year. From their humble beginnings in Hollywood, California, to their current base in Melbourne, Australia. Every year has presented its own unique challenges in growing a world-class design agency. Join us as we delve into the heart of Plan Co. Brendan and Karen will share stories, insights, and invaluable lessons they've learned throughout eight transformative years in business. This is the Plan Co. story, a testament to passion, purpose, patience, and persistence. Brendan and Karen, so great to be talking to you today about the history of Plan Co. So tell us, I know you started in 2015. What's the origin story? The origin story, I I would peg it to when we met Jason at Boeing. Fair dinkum. I, re- I really do. I think the triangle was formed and was never broken. Um, we'd been tossing ideas around for a while. And if anyone doesn't know who Jason is, look him up. Jason McGinnity, he's our superstar designer in Portland doing incredible things. But um, we'd been kicking the idea of entrepreneurship around for a while and dreaming of starting our own creative agency. But I think our time at Boeing was the final icebreaker decider because we realized that we didn't, you know, we realized that we had something to give and we felt like, we could do it uh, competitively and better than other people. And, um, but yeah, and Jason was a key part of making that decision. He was, you know, if you think about someone who comes in as an intern to a company and runs rings around 20 year veterans uh, with enthusiasm and sketching power and just a can do attitude, I think that's what drew me to like thinking shit with a few great people, we can build an amazing agency. Mm. I also felt like we hit our point of getting learning what we needed from a bunch of consultancies or companies that we've worked for over the, the previous 17 years. So I think all that knowledge we were able to package and create our own thing. So, so how did you know that it was time to start? Because a lot of people say you're never really ready to start. So, so what was the 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 moment in time where you yeah. just decided this is the time to launch it was fuzzy it wasn't like one of those moments of divine intervention where we were sitting on a rock and um, a shooting star came across the sky and with our name written on it but it it was a little bit of that actually because we, we did have one of those moments out in eastern washington on a road trip we were like we're in our mid-30s we don't have a kid we have some savings Let's just do this. We have the experience. Let's just do this. Let's give it a fucking shot. If we fall on our ass in two years, it's no big deal. Um, at least we tried. Tried. Yeah. Yeah. And this was at a time, I reckon, when, it, you know, the tools were there. So we were, WeWork was there. It was easy to kind of set up um, and create a business 
relatively low cost. Um, but having said that, uh, once we'd made the decision, we drove, we, we said, let's pack our bags and drive from Seattle down to LA and we'll have it all figured out by the time we get to LA over the span of three days. Yeah. No. And I think that comes back to lesson number one in 2015. You're never ready to start a company um, and time doesn't help your decisions. I think that's the, that's the big thing. So if you think that taking time out to, to find a decision on that, it's not going to, it's not going to help. I understand you guys had a WeWork office in in LA. Was that a, sort of a critical environment for you to sort of collaborate with others in an open space in a, at a time where you were just sort of kicking things off and you saw other people kicking things off? Yeah. Um, how did how did the 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 early days of Plan Co in LA uh, pan out? And 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 how did you just sort of keep your compass heading in the right direction in those early days? Well, I felt like we were based at the WeWork in Hollywood, which is like the story capital of the world pretty much. And there were so many different creative people in that studio. There was sort of writers, comic strip artists. What else? There was sort of um, fashion influencers. Band management companies. It was was crazy. It was – and – um live was it live nation yeah you know the giant music company they were right downstairs and so they had offices in there there was an architect studio on the on the top floor who had grown from two people in the space of three years or in two years actually from two people to like 30 people and had just taken over half of the top floor of WeWork. And so if you can imagine stepping into that mm. it was an incredibly exciting dynamic um, they had they had screening rooms. Like we could go in and book a screening room and just watch a movie for the afternoon if we wanted to. Pilot season was on, so there was this influx of riders coming into Hollywood. Food trucks rolling up outside yeah. every day. Palm trees, beautiful weather, summer, bang! It yeah. was fun. And I was at the base of the the hills. So oh, the Hollywood the hills. hills so yeah, it was a nice uh, nice view. Yeah, and um, free beer on tap. That was one of the amazing things about WeWork. Um, cocktail events every week, so it was fun. That that brought me in. Yeah, um, I've, I've <laughs> that's got a right. question. It brought everyone uh, in. <laughs> that's what, right. What's what's the you know like many designers when they go out on their own they they name their agency after themselves because they're after you know like defining their view and you know like their legacy. But you guys didn't do that. What's the story behind Play, Playing Co. Playing Co. Creative Group being the name? Or the oh, brand. Man, that's a great question. Yeah. And that's a that's one of those ones that we've we're it sort of started before we sort of moved to LA. Um we were actually back in Australia for a holiday, um, visiting a friend in Mudgee, New South Wales, and which is about three hours inland of um inland of Sydney and sort of west of Sydney and we were sort of, it was summer nights, it was hot, we were chilling outside, having barbecue, drinking, just enjoying like time out for a bit and sort of talking about how we're going to start our company. And the first thing, like you said, is like, well, what are you going to call it? <laughs> you know, we're like, ah, okay, what are we, what are we going to call this thing? And so we did a workshop like, okay, who are we? What are we, you know, what's our character? What's our personality? Um, 
what do we want to communicate to our staff, but also in the future, like, and our clients. So it was sort of, well, we're fun, we're playful. Do you want to jump in? I'm happy to yeah. jump in. <laughs> yeah. Think about, um, we had, we had, we definitely, that was the fork in the road that we took very early on. We didn't want to name it after Brendan and Karen Hutchison um, because I have a very ugly last name. And Sorry, it's not ugly. It's a very Scottish regal uh, last name. So it doesn't exude contemporary Australian design <laughs> not like Mark Newson. You know, some people have real show busy names like Max Power. I digress. Um, but the, the whole concept around Play & Co was – when we did, when we started drafting our business plan, because we had to have a, a legitimate business plan to file for a business license to qualify for any, a visa in America, if anyone's wondering that, and we can give them details later. What was our unique angle? One of them was setting up in LA, not the Bay Area, because we weren't going to be, we didn't think that we, we weren't brazen enough to compete with the Astros and uh, IDEOs and whipsaws of the world. The other, so storytelling was a big component, as Karen said before, and that's why WeWork was pretty key. But the other piece of the puzzle was a lot of agencies at the time were talking about strategy. And we felt like um, we had a great conversation with another friend who um, we, we felt like there was that magic that was missing from the process that people were talking about. And for us, that was play, right? So what's... You can have all the strategy in in the world, but if you don't get in there and have fun dicking around on a Friday afternoon or or going out and sketching over a couple of beers when your mind's fried, then what's the point? Um, and so that's the play piece of the puzzle. And then the and co serendipitously kind of is the extension of, well, it's not just about Brendan and Karen, it's about and company, but it's also about and collaborators, and community and concepts and coffee and i think jason you you wrote down close to a hundred of these and co <laughs> um extensions when you started at play and co right that's the long that's the long long-winded answer to your short question we'd like to take a moment to remind you that play and conversations is brought to you by play and co if you want to explore more about design opportunities, discover new insights, or connect with PlanCo for a design project, be sure to visit planco.com. So in the in the early days, uh, you you had what seems like the perfect formula. You had a, a perfect backdrop uh, in Hollywood. You were surrounded by other creatives that were focused on storytelling, which uh, as far as I'm concerned, my favorite designs always have a great story that goes with them. You had motivation and you had a great partner in Jason. So let's talk about how did you put the infrastructure into place for the agency in terms of getting the clients, getting the revenue models in place? Uh, what was that What was that like? And how did you sort of start to formulate the, the, the actual machine of the agency versus it being uh, a nice idea with a nice name? I love how you, you frame it like we had it all fucking figured out, but <laughs> it was a shit show in the first year. Um, we, we did everything we thought we were supposed to do. So, well, we did everything legally, right? Like we, we, we had our sort of, E2 visa, which allowed us to have a business in the US. 
um, thanks to Ashcan who. Ashcan Amami, big shout out yeah, to you, mate. Path. Thanks. <laughs> Law. Path Immigration Law Group. If he, anyone he needs to get into America, he, he also became our um, <laughs> a good friend of ours. Like that's just that sort of. He's a great guy. Um, but yeah, we had everything from textbook, like sort of the accountant set up. We had the legal set up. We had all the all the paperwork set up. But then it's like, okay, we need work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. Now what do we do? Yeah. And, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, this is a perfect answer from Karen because that's all the that's the kind of shit that she thinks about when we <clears throat> when we set up or when we're tackling a project or when we're running the company. She's like, okay, well, we need a good lawyer and we need a good accountant. Those were the first two things. So textbook-wise, we we covered it. But, you know, um, we, we did also send emails out to our network to say, hey, we're opening doors. And we were very lucky that a handful of them, who we're proud to say are still loyal clients to this day, um, gave us a shot. Um, and so we had business from day one, um, but the mechanics around that were really turbulent, I would say. So think of a big company like Philips, uh, healthcare, you know, it's a global enterprise. Um, just getting on their supplier list took us, I think three months and we'd already started, I think a project. Yeah. And so the purchase order didn't come in for the project until like one week before the deadline and they have payment lead times of 65 days. And so it was a, it was a baptism by fire in terms of cash flow, uh, seeing money go out and not seeing much come in for the first few months. And you can read all those textbooks about cash flow and, and how, yeah, you know, people saying you're going to see money going out, but then trust that it's going to come back in. And so that was, that was like, one of those, like Karen said, you just have to do it to feel it, you know, to feel the urgency of it and then to to create the frameworks and the tools and, and, and helps you prioritize what you need to do. And then there's, there's this saying that says that half of the world's, they say entrepreneurs, I wouldn't call ourselves entrepreneurs, maybe we are, but uh, business founders feel like complete failures and the other half feel like complete sex successes. <laughs> So even if you're a failure, sometimes you just feel like a success. And I think in those first years, I I felt like oh, really on the hooks of I think we're we're going to fail here, really on the ropes. I felt that was a, a reality. But the one thing I didn't want to do was go back to Australia with my tail between my legs because I knew that there and may I'm 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 sure I'm not alone here, but I'm, I know that there are people secretly hoping that you know you don't you don't survive and come back come back to the comfort of a nine to five and get fat like us and, um, uh, you know, do all these kind of mundane things. But, um, so that was the first thing, cash flow, and then FIFA, um, testing a few different business models. Um, so we, we did FIFA service, which has been a fantastic staple to be honest. So if ever anyone is thinking about doing, starting up their own agency, you know, the big cash comes in equity and VC and and building products, but the reliable cash is in um, fee-for-service too, and that's stability. But it's also fantastic for creative rigor, right? Um, and I'm sure Jason will talk to this too. Like we learn from our clients as much as they learn from us. But we had Blockable too early on. So we, had, we took equity in a venture-backed startup. We saw them climb from a few hundred thousand in seed money up to over 30 million 
um, and a giant factory in Sacramento. We we helped them all the way along the way with product development, pitching. Um, we saw them go through several rounds of pitching to huge com- huge VCs like Vent, um, Vulcan. Oh, by the way, we had a baby in that time yeah, too. Just to add it to the mix. <laughs> Talk about like chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, you know, one one thing that you you brought up is with those early clients, you you started by just leveraging your network, and it's it's amazing yeah. how how effective that can be for a lot of people. But but it's not just about leveraging your network; it's about establishing those good relationships and and not neglecting them. So so how did you sort of work that angle and and yeah. you said that you're still working with them today so you're 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 doing something right so so what what was your approach to those relationships and and why do you think that you still have those clients today i think when it really comes down to it karen and brendan like most designers are people people so we love relationships and i think that feeding off of our client success felt like we were building success for ourselves early on. And so I think at the end of the day, the day we're good people. And so we want to build trust. We want people to feel like they're getting value out of what we do. And so part of that is, you know, being always accessible. Uh, and, and that was actually one of the reasons why one client came to us actually because they'd been working with a larger firm and they weren't getting direct access to people that were making creative decisions. They were going via a project manager who was going via an account manager who was then talking to a creative. And and so I think that was part of our secret source. That was a lesson, right, that we learned about relationships is being accessible to our clients was was pretty key. And I would, I would say that's something that like we, we grapple with as we're growing um, because I think that is very much the the special sauce and that's where that's kind of the people we look for that we bring in into the and co um, yeah. I mean I could definitely speak to like you guys being people people like when I was not at playing co but you guys had already started it down in LA like we went on hikes constantly I was still I was still finishing up uh, art center and then interning at Tesla and I was like working 18 hour days and needing to blow off steam and clarify my where my brain was at and you guys were always there to kind of mentor but at the same time you were always like happy to show me kind of what you were working on so that I always had like a, a view of how other projects were going in different processes and different approaches um, and that's that's why we do what we do. It's like I think that's what is kind of core to playing co. Eight years, eight and a half years in, you know. Secretly, I was trying to sub submarine playing co into the Tesla engine, but you didn't pick up on the hit. I didn't. I didn't have a mature enough network at that time, dude. <laughs> no, but can I just talk about that what, that moment at Tesla? I remember you bought the Model S around to to our house one night and us being frugal people at the time, I'd only had soup for dinner and I had a belly full of soup and you bought the the Model S around and you're like, let's go for a spin. It was about eight o'clock at night and you pulled up at the lights and like put it in beast mode and you're like, watch this. And we just took off and I'd never felt G-forces like that from a car ever in my life. And I get home and the soup's just swimming around in my guts. He looked a little pale. (laughs) That car was nuts. 
Yeah. So. That was yeah. That was the early days. That was like the it was the P85D, and they had like yeah. one where you could sign up, and I, I signed up as many times as I could. They let an intern go drive it around town, and it taught me a lot about like what it would actually be like to to live with it. And it's that's I think that's really important is to like get in with the products. You're, that's you're the product. That's another yeah. lesson we didn't really finish. Yeah. Didn't put yeah. on the list. Well, like I can answer about the intuition part. I felt like in the previous years you know, when things felt wrong, like in, in, your, in, you know, when it feels wrong, I kind of pushed them aside. Cause I thought, oh no, I don't know. You know, we're doing something like we've got to keep on this path. I feel like with the whole, when we had a, I mean, cuckoo's a whole nother story, but we should have listened to our intuition then, because I think, um, we wouldn't have gone down a track that wasted a lot of time and energy, um, yeah, yeah. Do you agree? I mean, there's yeah. What's that analogy? If if it looks like a turd and smells like a turd, it's right probably like a turd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, and and I think from that point, I was like, no. From now on, if things don't feel right or don't fit who we are as a as as playing co, we just have to go. Cut our losses. Yeah, cut our losses. Yeah. Like, because I think in the long run, it just, it always pays off. Mm. Like, yeah. We've seen that happen over the, the previous, from pretty much 2018 onwards. Yeah. We made those those calls like, no, if this is not right, we're just not going to do it. Yeah. And it just, it is what it is. So, mm. and if, if, if we said no to a big success, well, it is what it is. So you can't so, get hung up on it. So 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 ultimately what you're saying is that you, you weren't afraid to course correct. And I understand that about four years later you moved back to Australia. So what was the what was the decision to move back to Australia from LA? And was there any concern about how that would affect Plan Co? Uh, or did mm. you find out that there was nothing to worry about? Oh fuck yeah. It like it wasn't we were not not afraid for the sake of a double negative to put put to put that clear that was probably one of the most stressful times of our lives i would say quite frankly because we <clears throat> you know there was a lot of emotional um factors at play um you know we wanted chloe to grow up in australia that was always the case and it was just about when we pulled the trigger so we were like, but by this, but I just want to say something about Chloe. Don't worry, she'd been to Disneyland three times in three years. She, so she's, she's, she, she had her taste she, of the good life. She's very LA. Let's just say that she's got stuff like an LA girl. Like she was born in West Hollywood. Yeah, not in LA. She was born in West Hollywood. Um, LA proper. But yeah, we just we felt like, you know, it's hard when you have family away and they're here, and we were in the US and they're getting older and you want those moments just for her to experience that with the grandparents. So it's, it was very much a personal decision, but it was also such a hard decision because yeah. it was that sliding doors moment. Like are we, if we leave, are we going to like sort of lose everything we kind of built mm. in America? Is this, you know, is this the right decision? You know, are we, you know, all the friendships, all the people that we know, all the clients, are they just going to wane? Yeah. Um, but actually, it was the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Went. After landing and turning our phones off of airplane mode, we did. We had three new projects by email. Wow. Like in the space of 15 wow. hours, like yeah. jumping on the plane to jumping off the plane. And they were all from the US. And 
yeah, that was our biggest concern is like, okay, all of a sudden we're on the other side of the planet and America has given us so much. And Karen made some very good, I would say, decisions where I was really wondering whether or not it'd be worth it. And one of those was keep the US entity open, like just keep it open, keep it open, keep it open. And it's not as simple as just jumping on a plane and shipping your goods back to Australia. Planco, for for being such a small team, we have a a, a legitimate U.S. based uh, entity, you know, uh, and um, an LLC, and we have an Australian proprietary limited company. And taxation and legal alone, in the way that those two companies relate to each other, cost us thousands in like international tax experts in in the US. And anyway, I'm getting into the weeds of it. So it's it wasn't as easy as it sounded, but it's actually set us up in a very strong position moving forward. So the the don't be afraid to course correct. Part of it is getting back to your point and getting back to Karen's point. Listen to your intuition. At, at, at the end of the day, you have to f- make a decision that you are going to feel good to live with and then know that that's going to pay off over time. Turns out we had nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he was back- And we've got Jason in America. Yeah. And you. Yeah. And uh, he was back on a plane, like, literally a few weeks later. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> over the course of 2019, I think I travelled back to the late, US yeah, four 20, or five times. Late 2019. We sort of moved back mid-year mm. prior to... The dreaded got my miles up. <laughs> so, so you landed in Australia, and not long after the world shut down with COVID. Uh, so, how did you guys? You know, you you said you you landed three new clients, uh, but obviously this threw a curveball to you, just like it threw one to everybody else. How did you navigate this time as a as a new design agency with with these new clients? Well, the, I mean, one of the bonuses, I guess, that prior to 2020 was that we already had sort of a online platform we were using, like sort of a remote working platform because our clients in the U.S. weren't just based in Los Angeles. They were based in Seattle. They were based in Boise, Idaho. They were based in, uh, God, I'm trying to remember, everywhere. They were just not in one location. So you really needed to... Um, have the tools in place in order to make this work. And so we already had sort of frameworks. We had Miro. We had, you know, all online sort of systems going. We had, um, what else would we do But prior to 2020? Pretty much everything, everything was humming. So when 2020 hit and COVID hit, that distributed workplaces, um, and working remotely thing. wasn't wasn't a big issue. <laughs> like Zoom was normal, like doing all those things. And I just remember when we were here, everyone's like, oh, my God, we all need to get Zoom. Like what Zoom? Have you heard about Zoom? Have you heard about Zoom? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like there's other platforms. Yeah, we did. Use. We felt like we had 12 months on the rest of the world. Yeah. So that was good. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, we saw patterns. Um, and it's kind of a, well, what, what can you do? Right. The whole, to your point, Simon, the whole world's going through this. So, um, we, we're at the, there are things that are within our control and then there are things that are outside of our control. And the things that I thought were particularly, um, encouraging, particularly with 
the the attitude in America was very much here's a wall. Oh well, how do we jump over it? How do we dig under it? How do we just bust through it or maybe walk around that wall, right? And so we saw some of our clients totally pivot from one business domain to another and reallocate like full teams of engineers and R&D people into a, a world they'd never even um, been in. So that was super encouraging. And and we all of a sudden were in the, in the middle of that and we were on pretty – pretty nice retainers over the course of 2019 to support the transition and create a creative vision for, for this new market that they were going into. And um, so that was incredibly exciting. The sentiment was, here's a wall. Let's just wait until the wall falls down. And I think the hard thing there is that you've got a lot of catch up to play when, when the world recovers and the world is always going to recover. I'm an eternal optimist. So that's awesome. You know, the, I think perseverance plays a big role in, in any entrepreneurial um, endeavor. And clearly, that's exactly what you guys did. But I understand around 2021, you, you really started to lean into the, the, the play element of Plan Co. Uh, you established um, the term we take play seriously. You started to bring on more hires. You built a more of a team. What what was that sort of next stage of growth like? Once you sort of busted through that wall, uh, and 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 what what was sort of like the pivotal moment of that in terms of realizing that you were going to be coming out of this uh, as a winner, uh, and and continue to evolve these relationship with relationships with clients and bring on new clients. Where do we begin? <laughs> you let Jason into the hen house. <laughs> I, I saw he, I saw your eyes uh, start darting, and I'm like, hmm, should we just let Jason answer this one? <laughs> um, it'd be good to hear Jason's thoughts, actually, because yeah. I think he'd been working with us since mid 2020, the previous year, and it was just, it was the writing was on the wall, like it was going to work. We needed Jason. Um, because he added another dimension to what we'd been doing. So just for people that don't know, we look like a small team, but we do have a pool of specialists that work with us on various projects, um, depending on the project that comes in. And the benefit to that is that we can do very diverse work very quickly and leanly and in an agile kind of an entrepreneurial way. And so we have knit specialists, we have 3D viz artists that have worked on Hollywood sci-fi movies, Generative uh, design specialist. Generative design specialist, you name it, um, an incredibly talented group. And we have Jason to thank for a lot of those connections because most of them are his. <laughs> so he's kind of the Pied Piper of creative talent. Um, uh, when when Jason blows his little pipe, uh, people, the you little. know, the little mice come following. So <laughs> <laughs> he was our biggest champion. Um, he, but when I think what Jason did organically without us even asking his, you know, from day one, he just started combing through all the project folders and and just just immersing himself in all of the work that we'd done over previous years, something I wouldn't have done. But immediately I felt like he felt like he was a part of the team and the journey and a main catalyst and owner of the business. And um 
you know, he like that was when uh, we re- redefined our website. We got our messaging clearer because he was talking back to us all of the great stuff that we had been just head down, heads down, bums up, producing, and so, trying to survive. Yeah, and, and I trying to survive. And uh, getting back to your point, Simon, about we take play seriously. It was a quip that we'd thrown around, but I, it was something we began to adopt fair income pretty seriously because we're like, well, you know, we have to live and die by this and we do our best. You know, at the end of the day, we'd love to play all day. We'd love to like have team events in Mykonos every year or Ibiza and we'll get there. Um, but yeah, this idea of taking play serious in our work um, became core to what we did. And so Jason, you yeah, want I think, yeah, when I, joined it was it was also a very interesting time for me uh we were just having our our first kiddo uh Maeve who's now two and a half but yeah like beginning of 2021 uh I was kind of like okay what can I do coming on full time and what I think we've also seen on our in like the past few years of kind of growth is um, you guys had hit your limit of how much you could focus on the brand and and taking the projects that have become public and tell the proper story of that the journey of each of those. So I wanted to dig back in and understand more of the work, understand what was resonating, what was working, and then we wanted to full, like more fully define what Playing Co was at that at that moment with the tools uh, the three of us can kind of pull together and. A lot of that is kind of comes back to like, you know, what is the root of like where the where playing co comes from? What what can we pull on there? And then what is the work really, you know, really about? So telling those stories really like showed me that we'd created space in each one of those to really kind of like tease out the ideas and build like tons of concepts don't see the light of day, but the, the end product was always like really clearly rooted in, in the original approach. So that was um kind of where I, I tried to drive things and we've run into those kind of issues as we've grown as now we're handling, you know, four five, six projects in a month. Like it's, it's, uh, we have to bake into our own processes, the ability to update the website and continue to like define mm. who we are and focus on the space we need as a, as a company and as, as a team to have fun and think and get ahead of, you know, trends and what's out there so that we can always bring that to client work. Yeah, you bring up you bring up uh, a, a great point, Jason. And I think for Brendan and Karen, you know, a, a part of this evolution was finding, well, aligning with your passion and your purpose. Uh, and so, in a way, Play and Co evolved from being a design agency to a design agency that carries a purpose, uh, particularly uh, Planet Health and People Health, uh, which is sort of building in this niche angle of, of the kind of clients you want to work with, but at the same time becoming a thought leader in this space that attracts new clients to you. So where did, where did this come from and, and how has that sort of been a stepping stone in terms of the play and code journey uh, from, from just taking on anything and everything that comes in to focusing more on these specific projects and, and clients with, with a mission that aligns with yours? Simon, you don't remember where this came from? <laughs> it's when you started, mate. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in, uh, literally, this is where a, a, another point in the uh, playing co moments where we had another hire and we brought you on and um, you you helped shape 
like the brand and our messaging to um, have have a purpose to our outward mm. facing, which has been sort of fantastic. I think it's yeah, really I, helped. I think every this is something that I'm learning day by day, and I wish I could, or year by year, and I wish I could learn it much faster. But the when you're growing, you you think about adding members to the team in terms of a skill that you need fulfilled. But really, when you're looking early on, like having people that that have leadership qualities and um, um, a certain added dimension, I guess, is something that it's really hard to look for and articulate, but you know it when you find it. And I think so you know, Jason's been there for, a, he's been a game changer in the company. And then I think what you brought to Play & Co was getting on top of brand awareness from like as soon as possible. So make make sure people know, we think we've got it all figured out, but even our closest contacts don't really know what we're doing on a day to day and what we stand for and what we believe in. So let's just start talking about it. And we, we instigated two key initiatives. The first one we'd actually already been working on just because we love doing it, and that's play and concepts. And so uh, the exciting thing there was, you know, it helped us build creative discipline, creative rigor. It gave us um, PR, you know, we could produce projects in the planet health and people health space that that we could talk to because a lot of the work we've been doing is strategic and won't see the light of day for another few years. So how do we show our value now? So that's one of the drivers for playing concepts. Um, and they're a great source of fun and inspiration. I know Jason loves digging into these. We love digging into them. We like pulling in some of these specialists um, to create a mock-up for a brand that we believe in to build the whole proposition around this concept. And we we create these really tight, tight case studies that then we can share with potential clients and partners. And what we've seen from playing concepts is so far we've had a hundred percent hit rate in terms of generating business or partnerships and or partnerships. And that's, that's a huge one. So that's another lesson for people uh, starting a consultancy. If you think you have nothing to show, do a concept project um, around something you believe in. And then the other piece of the puzzle that you brought, which I didn't really see value in at the time, but I see much more value in, I saw much more value in very quickly was planned conversations, insights, reports, blog posts, um, podcasts. Um, and I guess what that has done for us is forced us as a tiny little unit to say, well, what are the topics everyone's grappling, grappling with in design and business? What does this mean for design and business? And what's our opinion on it? And let's write write about it and communicate it to the outside world. And um, the first of those reports was um, Future Climates last year, which I thought was massive. And it, it instantly gave us a lot of, I think, credibility. I, I still get comments today from people, randoms hitting me up and saying, you guys are legit, you know, and I don't think that there's a lot of thought leadership um, driven consultancies in this part of the world. And uh, it's a refreshing perspective. Um, and another one was our return on design investment, um, uh, short report, um, that opened up conversations with, with 
new potential client clients too because all of a sudden a design director says fuck yeah i i've got proof now that design adds value to business i can go to my boss and and tell them what i need with some tangible backing so that was a big one and then the latest one business as usual uh grapples with all of these uncertainties coming down the pike for business over the coming decades so team culture distributed team culture in place hybrid team cultures global team cultures um, connectivity and how uh, productivity tools are going to enable that um, and then the the big scary mysterious ai um, that uh, is the, the hot topic of the past six months so those have been they've helped us to form our own kind of perspective on the world but also helped us to give clarity to a lot of our clients and, and, and i would say like the also to simon's credit it's like the as a as a small business you know modern day small business you have to have content like you have to be communicating what you do how you do it what you believe in yeah. to, to like we can't just be sending out emails trying to connect with people um and cold outreach all the time if we could bring people in and they already understand us uh, we have a much higher likelihood of like kicking off a great conversation with a potential client or partner and i think like what those have done for us as uh as a brand is like take the conversations we're always having at the end or beginning of meetings with our own clients and turn that into like actionable content that we create that shows our point of view but that kind of feeds our business and our brand properly and it's a much more efficient use of our time and i think the one that has really done it is uh is this new kind of like podcast it's a very efficient yeah like uh use of an hour to kind oh, yeah. of you know kind of continue to have these conversations but do something with it you know and i love the sound of my own voice so uh <laughs> he shot, he shot <laughs> the more i can talk the, and hear it on playback the better <laughs> i'm the complete opposite. i uh, i appreciate that from you guys but i you know what i honestly see myself as just sort of a sort of a an, an in-between of a of a story that was waiting to be told and and just setting up the infrastructure to make sure that it gets heard by the right people. So yes, that was a that was a great moment in time for Plan Co. But I think the story was always there, just was waiting to be told. So uh, as we move towards the end of 2023 and into 2024, all of these learnings that we've been talking about for the past 30 minutes are, are kind of coming to a point uh, where Plan Co knows who they are, they know where they're going. There's a roster of clients. I see it. You have clients coming in left and right these days wanting to have conversations with Play Co. So now we're so, we sort of find ourselves in a position of patience and persistence. Uh, so so what does the the near future of Play Co look like as you know from the early days in Hollywood at the WeWork space watching other companies scale out to now Play Co scaling out with these clients where's what's what's next? Can we hand it to the future leadership and get, if Jason's got an opinion? I think that, I mean, we're just warming up every, I think in business, I've heard people say it's it's a marathon. I've also heard people say it's not a marathon. It's a thousand sprints. I've also heard, uh, you know, Steve Jobs famously said that about half of what separates successful ventures from non-successful ones is pure perseverance. And I think 
between the four of us and the fantastic team that we that help us we're definitely perseverant people so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that like we don't give up um but the exciting part of what's coming is you know the nice thing is like talking to michelle the other day berryman right she had she started a little company that grew to eight people that was then acquired by a 50 person team a thousand person team and then up to cap gemini and she always holds on to the moment in the beginning when when they were really small and she's like that was that was the moment and i think um um fuck where was i going with that I, I think there's this feeling that you you're on the edge of that turning point. And that's that's what I've been saying to Brendan. I said we've had really tough few years at the start, you know, trying to make this work, went through some growing pains, if you're sort of talking about a timeline. And then we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um and I feel like like if you want to talk about a metaphor, the Everest metaphor, you're sort of going up to base camp and you think, I'm almost at the top. I'm almost hit the, you know, we've made it. And then you look up and you're like, oh, no way. Got to keep going, keep going, keep going. But we're, there's this almost turning point that I feel sort of like when autumn or, or fall turns into spring, things change and there's a buzz in the air. That's what's sort of feeling that the future is holding. And I've, mm. and I, I, it's sort of hard to explain or hard to. It's a feeling. It's, it's a feeling. And, and I think we all feel it um, and our clients feel it when they sort of work with us, that there's this great energy and that there's sort of uh, optimism and hope that. And I think it's easier to feel that way when you're as small as we are, because the only way is up. Yeah, it's not a it's not a long fall down. So I think it, you may feel different when you're managing forty or fifty people team or a three hundred person team. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there next year. Yeah, but back to what <laughs> Brennan said, we're just warming up, and it's like exciting things yeah. are in the pipeline. Yeah, it's, yeah. Are like you still having fun, Jason? Yeah. 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 I feel like where we're at is like, you know, what we're doing now is, you know, that, that critical point to establish the culture of what playing co is permanently. Cause as you bring more people in, that needs to be clear. If it's not, things go sideways. And I think that's where a lot of our effort and our focus is constantly kind of pulled back to, as we feel like we're taking on bigger, cooler, more fun projects, but like bigger clients. Um, but yeah, what like we've had many conversations about is like it, it isn't the Brendan and Karen show. Like what we're trying yeah. to create here is this this idea, you know, a, a thing that can last. And yeah. you know, building that idea uh, of playing co, it, it doesn't matter who's running it at some point. You know, if this thing can last a hundred years, because the idea of taking play seriously and creating space to do great work and you know, attracting designers to come and do the best work of their lives, like that's where. I, I feel drawn to as the focus. And if we can if we can accomplish that, I think like the work will always speak for itself. If you want to continue the conversation, share your thoughts or suggest topics for future episodes, be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at PlanCo or visit planco.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, keep playing, keep designing, and keep pushing the boundaries of what's next. This is Play in Conversations, signing off.